cannabis just really didn't have a lot of automation and it was very manual and very labor intensive. And a lot of these big companies weren't even looking at it or even trying to service the industry because of its federal status. We kind of became the customer to know the customer. And then that's where all these problems started becoming very apparent. Hey buds, it's your best bud, Rye, here, and I'm excited to talk to you all today because as some of you may remember, back in the pandemic when everything was a little chaotic, I started working on a number of different podcast shows, and one of those shows was called IoT Idols, Innovators to Watch, and I got to explore the world of innovation through automation and kind of what these different engineers and innovators were kind of bringing to make life better and make life easier. And that was extremely fascinating. And as time goes on in the cannabis industry, and you see manufacturers coming online more and more and more unique products, I started to kind of look and, and ask, you know, where is automation coming into the cannabis industry? When is it coming? And lo and behold, it is always easy to find on LinkedIn and the little universe we've created here because our good friend Mike Major from Green Lane Communication introduced us to our next guest. So I'm really excited to talk about this with somebody that knows a thing or two about it. So Notal, it's so great for you to uh, join us on Weed Buds Radio. Thank you very much, Raya. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to be a part of the, the series of innovators and in automation. Yeah, it's so exciting. And obviously two passions of mine are cannabis and technology. And you are kind of where cannabis and technology collide. And so for those that don't know, uh, it's fascinating to think that your career uh, has kind of been all over the place in a very entrepreneurial journey, if you will, um, but not necessarily a traditional entrepreneur's journey. And so I don't mind, I was wondering if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your journey into kind of what brought us here today. Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, I mean, I guess I don't know what a traditional entrepreneur's journey might be. I, I've talked to a few of them. They're kind of always all over the place, right? Um, but uh, my background is in aerospace engineering. So I have a master's degree in aerospace engineering. I worked at NASA JPL, uh, the NASA Research Center in Los Angeles. And I actually worked on a project that is currently on the surface of Mars producing oxygen, and it's called MOXIE. So I was uh, the lead mechanical engineer on that, uh, on the heart of that instrument. And then also I did a lot of work on the overall architecture and that was awesome. Uh, but as you might assume, NASA is kind of a heavily bureaucratic sort of uh, environment and it moves very slow and it can be kind of frustrating sometimes. And so me and my co-founder uh, that was also working at NASA at the time, we wanted to kind of strike it out on our own and then build this robotics company. So we picked up our third co-founder who was doing his PhD in computer vision. And we said, all right, let's build robots. And uh, the first robot we made was actually a robot that sorted Magic the Gathering cards or Pokemon cards, trading cards. And uh, that was pretty cool. Um, it was super valuable to the industry that it was in. That industry was just very small. So it sorted the cards? 
Yeah, it actually, you'd put in a thousand cards, and we started with Magic the Gathering, and then eventually went to Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! But uh, you would put in a thousand cards, there'd be a camera that went over the cards, it would scan them, cross-reference them to an online database of over 100,000 unique cards, accurately identify what, what, what it was, what set it was, what, like, variable kind of promo, small detail card... And then it would take those thousand cards and it would do whatever type of sorting you wanted. So did you want to get all the expensive cards out of that pile? It could do that. Did you want to sort them by alphabet? It could do that. Did you want to sort it by addition, set, rarity? It could do that. Um, and then after it sorted it, it would upload that database to the online store of these sellers and basically like eliminate 80% of the labor that these people who sold online would do. It was really cool. It was like probably one of our, mo our most sophisticated robots. And... Um, yeah, that was like kind of the first thing we started with. So what did you do after that? So after that, we then got into a startup accelerator called Y Combinator. Uh, kind of a uh, fancy sort of venture arm with a business development program behind it. And, and if you don't mind, Notal, why is that specific uh, program so valuable? Because those that are listening might not necessarily know kind of what's all entailed with something like that. Yeah. So Y Combinator is commonly referred to as the uh, like quote, like Harvard of Silicon Valley, because it was the first startup accelerator kind of like built that model. And um that model is basically they give you a bunch of money to invest and then they kind of help you develop your business model. And a bunch of the biggest companies in the world have gone through it, like uh, Airbnb, Dropbox, DoorDash, Instacart, kind of these companies that are very common now. They started with like three guys in this business development program. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's, it's hard to get into. So congratulations. Super hard. Yeah, I think the acceptance rate is like less than one percent or something like that yeah um so we got into that and we said okay we want to like use this network of all these founders and these investors to find a bigger market and so after kind of scouring the different industries of what's a good place to put our efforts behind we found that cannabis uh just really didn't have a lot of automation and it was like very manual and very labor intensive and a lot of these big companies weren't even looking at it or even trying to service the industry because of its federal status. So living in the gray is where startups kind of thrive. And we said, OK, cool. You know, we have a positive disposition towards the plant um, and we like robots. So this sounds like a good path forward. And so then, boom, that's what got us into cannabis. And that was kind of the like small journey into the cannabis ecosystem. And then, you know, we've been doing a bunch of weird stuff since then. So before we talk about the cannabis and the weird stuff, can you tell me a little bit about what is it like being cannabis positive in a very federal environment? Oh, you mean like yeah, when I was working at NASA? Yeah. I didn't smoke any weed when I worked at NASA. Yeah, yeah I, I was very, uh, yeah, it was a pretty low-key um, because they they can do drug testing and stuff like that. And you also don't want to, be caught with your pants down so um i would say yeah me and my kind of engineering friends while we were there kind of took a sabbatical from cannabis during that time yeah 
Sure. And so you clearly had experimented with it prior to your experience yeah. with NASA. So leaving, it wasn't because I was kind of you know trying to wrap my mind around like, how does a systems engineer at NASA get in the cannabis space? Yeah, I mean, it was like kind of those steps, right? It was like yeah. moving from NASA to doing robots for small industry and then small industry to big industry in cannabis is a bunch of kind of non sequiturs <laughs> to get to where we are. And you said as soon as we kicked off that there's not necessarily one true entrepreneur, you know, standard entrepreneurial journey, if you will, because my background is very media heavy and very marketing focused and consumer experience and found my way into the cannabis industry, bringing all of those skills together. And again, like those steps don't necessarily make sense looking at them individually one by one, but it's really easy to kind of see how we got here when you look at it, you know, in the rear view mirror. And so I'm fascinated when you looked at the cannabis space, did you have an idea of where you thought we needed help in terms of automation or was that a journey and a process in and of itself? Yeah, that was also a bit of a journey. Um, because I didn't actually know anything about the cannabis industry when I first started. I mean, I knew I liked weed. <laughs> like, that was uh, kind of where it began, right? And sure. uh, when we got into the industry, we kind of had to experiment quite a bit to understand really where the, the pain points were. And a big part of that was helping set up a co-packing facility in Oakland and actually running that and, like, participating in that process of running a plant-touching facility that would co-pack for some Bay Area clients and also act as like R&D for this like, you know, highly controlled substance. Um, and that process is really what taught me and our team exactly what's needed in the space because we started building for cannabis manufacturers and then we were kind of participating in the knowledge gathering of this cannabis manufacturer, right? And so we, we kind of became the customer to know the customer. Um, and then that's where all these problems started becoming very apparent. Like when you're actually in the operations and you're in the day to day, you're like, oh, wow, this is crap. Wow. That doesn't make any sense. Is there any solution for this? No. Okay. Let me talk to my customers or other people in the industry. Do they know? No. Okay. Well, there's like no answers to this. Very surprising because this industry is huge and it's getting bigger and bigger, but there's like these huge gaps. And, um, that really served as like a good uh, launching point for our current products that we launch now and and the product roadmap that we have moving forward. That's amazing because I think of the cultivators specifically and the processors and manufacturers, there's a lot of opportunity for automation when you look at it on the surface. And having you know, really kind of my origin of my career be in manufacturing, I've seen incredible equipment automate some of the most mundane tasks. And one of the things that I really loved the most doing research for this episode was on your LinkedIn page. Uh, you wrote, I want a world where all repetitive labor tasks are done autonomously. Then people can find 
uh, or can utilize their efforts on helping others and being creative. And I thought that was really powerful because there's an argument so often, well, if you just automate all of this stuff, what about my labor? What about my staff? I don't want them to go anywhere. So I get what you're saying, but what do you say to the argument of, well, some of this equipment could automate 30, 40 jobs? Um, I mean, that LinkedIn post is kind of like an overarching ethos of mine, right? Uh, but when it comes to practicality of the automation, especially in the cannabis industry and how it's kind of hyper fragmented in these different states, if you talk actually with these manufacturers, they're not firing their people when they buy uh, equipment. They're just actually using them for higher value add tasks because really the problem that these people are having is not that uh, they want to automate jobs and then fire all their staff. No, it's that they can't even find enough people to do the jobs. Like that's the big problem. It's not having the workforce of the labor because just people don't want to do these jobs. It's extremely hard to hire. I mean, I even ran into that issue myself uh, with the co-packing facility up north. It was very hard to hire for some of these, you know, kind of simple tasks because just people don't want to do it, right? There's a very few amount of people that want to sit down and pack pre-rolls all day or pack concentrate jars all day. It's extremely tedious. It's super boring. And when you do find them, you actually can't have them do that all day. You have to vary the tasks throughout the day because otherwise they get super slow they get really grumpy um because those jobs suck like i mean uh, people will do them because they need to but it's the responsibility of the employer to make it not a nightmare for the employees to do it and as you know the industry in the united states is moving more towards a knowledge worker basis uh, i think it makes a lot of sense to automate those jobs that the manufacturers are having difficulty filling. It's not that they want to fire a bunch of people, it's that they can't even hire the people they need. So that's kind of where that comes from in a practical sense. I appreciate that argument very much because as the more and more I talk to cultivators, you're right, they need 50 trimmers, but there's only 25 that are hireable. And yeah. that doesn't, their capacity is now limited to man hours where you, to your point, it's, well, maybe those 25 trimmers that they do have could be out generating revenue rather than sitting at a desk trimming wheat. Uh, I guess yeah. that, you know, when you put it that way, that seems to make a lot of sense on paper. And another point that you made is just, that repetitive task, right? The boredom sets in, uh, agitation can kind of set in. And when I first started my career, I worked at a, a medical manufacturing facility for diagnostic kits and eight hours putting pipettes into a kit or putting yeah. cotton swabs into a kit or, you know, filling vials. And it's just, it was the same thing all day, day in and day out. And eventually there was a really big shift to kind of cross train 
and get people, you know, and it made the nights go by so much faster when Mm -hmm. you're learning something new and you're applying yourself in in different ways. So I like just that example there because, you know, even in the retail side, right, you could be cutting flyers or labeling and it just becomes so tedious that you kind of have to shake it up in order to, you know, get the maximum output because there's no point in labeling when you're just going one at a time versus when you're kind of going at it right and you've got a a flow going so that makes a lot of sense and you know the more that i think about it there's so many applications so i know you have a machine right now to help with infused blunts and pre-rolls correct yeah yeah that's called our gico robot gico okay so yeah so tell me a little bit about that yeah so that's uh an idea that we got from participating in that co-packing facility directly. It was uh, a customer came to us, said, hey, you know, we want to do some infused pre-rolls kind of in the fuzzy style. And this is back in 2020. And um, when infused pre-rolls in California were kind of just becoming a little bit trendy, they were still a very small part of the market. And they asked us to do this job. They gave us all this keef. They gave us all this distillate. They gave us the stuff to make the pre-rolls. We made the pre-rolls. That's easy. Then when we did the infusion part, we were painting them. They We followed these SOPs that they gave us. But it ended up being extremely messy, um, both in interaction with the customer because we ended up using too much keef and running out. And then the distillate was like super messy and kind of literally all over the place. And it just wasn't a, it just wasn't a good process. And I mean, we did try to do a very like a good job of it um but the spillage rates and all that kind of methodology just didn't really make sense and so since that labor was so high and that spillage was so high i kind of went back on the robotic side and said let's just make a method of infusing that is not just kind of cosmetic and looks cool but actually is functionally a better product and in a manufacturing kind of gross margin sense is less spillage. So you save on your material input costs. And in some of these markets, it's extremely expensive and uh, less labor, which in every market is expensive. Um, And that's another thing that people just don't want to do, right? People don't want to sit there and paint pre-rolls with distillate and then roll them in keef. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a great thing. It's not a great job. Um, And so that's when we made the GECO and it basically just injects pre-rolls and blunts with concentrate making a a column of concentrate down the center and turns it from just like a regular pre-roll and kind of uh, into like a little dirty dab rig where you have this cherry on the end vaporizing all this concentrate kind of smooths out the smoke you really you get that full terpene profile when you do things like live rosin injections and then you can you know start mixing and matching and making designer joints which is not something you can do these days Can you do like more solid type concentrates as well as the distillates and batters are going to be a little bit more runny, whereas like the sugars and the rocks and sauce are going to have a little bit more of those, you know, solid factors to them. Is that, does that machine allow for both or does it have to be more kind of the liquid side? So it has to be able to become a liquid. What happens after it's a liquid um, kind of changes depending on what it is, right? So if you're using a distillate, after you inject it, it's still going to be basically a liquid, just like a hard liquid. However, if you're using like a batter or maybe like a non-pen stable rosin, 
after you inject it, it turns into like a crystal. So um, you can do these injections and when it cools down, it cools down into like a crystalline structure. And that's what is really bad if you put it in a vape cart because then it can't burn. But if you put it inside of a joint, it's perfect, right? It's kind of like you're getting that little dab. Um, so yeah, I mean, it has to melt down. Uh, you can't like put in just keef, right? You can't like inject keef because that's like a solid granular type of thing. Uh, but we've seen people do like hash rosin where that is kind of this oily, uh, mushy sort of dough. And then you melt it down so it becomes runny. And then you can inject it into the joints or the blunts. And then when it cools down, it goes back into that same form, that kind of like gooey dough form. Very cool. And that will dose based off of weight, I assume? So it doses volume. Uh, it doses by viscosity and time. So we're basically doing like a like a time based dosage because the range of materials is so large. Uh, having like kind of this constant pressure pushing it decreases the chance for you to like accidentally create cavitation in the system by pulling a vacuum. And if you pull a vacuum, sometimes your batters or your shatters or your sugars that you've melted down. Um, so we do sugars and stuff. You just have to melt it down so there's no more crystals left. Um, but if you do that and then you pull a vacuum on it, it can sometimes actually create bubbles. Like it'll, it'll actually cause it to decarboxylate. And so this way we actually just provide a constant pressure and just push it through the system. That's very cool. So when you're doing this and you're getting the, you're working in this facility and you're seeing the opportunities, was there any regulatory issues that come up, you know, when you're manufacturing equipment to manufacture you know, these schedule one drugs? Well, I mean, we don't have any of the schedule one drugs in our robotics facility uh, because we're not licensed and that's, yeah, I don't really want to get raided or something like that. Yeah, we um, we just have hemp and like Delta eight, which is sure. legal, um, and uh, and hemp is super legal. So we always have that documentation on staff, like ready to go. Um, but on the plant touching side, we would deploy our machines to that co-packing facility to like really run a real life scenario because infusing hemp with uh, Delta eight is very different than infusing uh, like THC joints with like a rosin or like a batter because that material consistency is different. The way it affects and responds to heat is super different. It's just like, it's just so different. So when we were doing like kind of the final phase of testing, like that last six months, it was in the field. Interesting. So I know like in Maine, for example, the regulators cannot seem to figure out, do you, in you know, once you infuse a pre-roll, do you measure it as a flower product? Do you measure it as a concentrate product? So I was curious, you know, how that is working in some of the markets that you've seen, because obviously it becomes a manufactured product. But I'm just trying to forward think here because Maine doesn't doesn't have this yet because they don't know how to how to tax it or how to regulate it. So have you heard about that in other markets where, you know, just you haven't been able to infuse products? And do you have an idea of kind of why? Um, I mean, there's some places where the infusion of products is like highly regulated or like segmented from different operators. So uh, I know in Oklahoma, 
um, like a farm can't infuse. You need like specifically like a processing license. Um, and then when it comes to like how you're going to quantify uh, the joint in California and in Michigan, they quantify all of them as infused just joints. They're like they're just joints with like more THC or whatever inside of them. Um, and I know that like right now on the possible ballot or like not ballot, like decision tree on how to tax things in New York, they're actually trying to connect the taxes to the THC percentage, which I think would be insane and make no sense whatsoever. Um, but yeah, so in terms of regulations of infused products and just things in general, they're kind of all over the place. And it's honestly extremely confusing where they even get these ideas from. Because like, I'm they don't, confused just yeah. thinking about that. How do you tax on the percent? Like would alcohol be taxed on the percentage? Right. No, right? Like, so no. it's just, <laughs> like, no, like, other, like, because then effectively you just, uh, you de incentivize a variability of products, right? Yeah. And it's also be, it'd be very different because everyone in every state is like chasing THC percentage. Like, can we make a pre roll that's 50% THC? It's like, yeah, you could. <laughs> I'm not sure if it would be good but you could right and um and people are kind of buying off that notion because they like everyone's still getting educated on the market on like what matters in a pre-roll or what matters in a cannabis product um and yeah if they did that that would kind of fuck it up i think it, it wouldn't make any sense we have at bud's emporium our adult use store here in maine we have a keef infused pre-roll that is 37 and a half percent and that's the the highest product we have thus far anyway um but again looking at you know when this type of these types of products come to market i think that they're just going to be a huge opportunity here and so speaking of huge opportunity one i would like to ask you know is this machine and this equipment is this something that's readily available for cultivators and processors to buy right now or is this within your facility right now the the gico unit oh no it's ready to buy all over the country so we've sold Amazing. ones everywhere we sold a few in canada we sold to michigan washington oregon oklahoma uh, massachusetts uh where else maryland um yeah and now we're we're basically focusing on like a lot of those emerging markets um like new york ohio these kind of places that are starting to come online and you know getting their feet wet and they want to start with automated systems because they kind of seen what everyone else started with when they had an army of people and they're like yeah i don't really want to do that let's like learn take some lessons learned from the other states yeah, I can't, I, like I said, I can't wait till we have it here. So we'll have to get one of your units to Maine at some point, I hope. Yeah, and definitely. My last question for you, you saw the opportunity in the cannabis space for this unit. I'm curious, has there, you know, would your peripheral kind of seen some other areas? Because I think of trimming, right? And just pre-roll packing, there's already equipment there, but there's not 
tr- at least to my knowledge, nothing like true scale, full automation yet. But that's just kind of what my simple mind sees as low hanging <laughs> fruit. Uh, you know, do you have any kind of other thoughts of just ways that this industry can automate and become more uh, efficient? Yeah, I mean, one thing that we built uh, and just launched recently is a uh, kind of vape filling machine, which isn't, you know, special so much as there are other machines around. Uh, What I think we have taken the approach as is to kind of build a platform that was from the ground up specifically made for cannabis and very different from what other people are kind of doing where they find something from another industry and they kind of jerry-rig it to make it work with cannabis stuff. And so when you start with the cannabis plant in mind and that sort of material handling issue, you then can very easily kind of mix and match that design to do other things. So like that vape cartridge filling machine will also be able to do gummies. And if it's doing gummies, it'll also be able to do uh, maybe drinkables as well. And so we're kind of going through this experimentation process of where where have the current technologies that have been applied to the space fall short? And that's kind of where we see it in like this like vape cartridge, gummies, edibles situation. And I think that's where we're going to be focusing a lot of our effort on next. Oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to continue to follow your journey and the products that you all have coming out. So for those that are interested right now in getting in touch with you or getting some of your equipment or following you, what's the best way to stay in touch? Um, I think the best way to stay in touch is follow me on LinkedIn and you can hit me up on LinkedIn um, or just, uh, I guess, send me a message, uh, natal at sortingrobotics.com. That's my email. I check it every day. So if uh, you want to reach out, um, just drop me a line. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. We're so grateful that you made the time to join us today on Weed Buds Radio. Yeah, thank you for having me. And of course, we're so grateful to all of you for joining us on today's episode of Weed Buds Radio. Be sure to head over to weedbudsradio.com. Check out those show notes. We'll have links to all of the websites. You can connect further. And of course, we are excited to see you in the next episode. So stay tuned. <laughs>